welcome back. Today, I have Lucinda Sykes. She's a doctor that practices medicine, has helped thousands and thousands of people in her career. And today, I want to talk about sleep disorders, uh, the dream state, and so much more. I've been sleeping like shit lately, so hopefully anything she can provide, I may be able to use. And who knows, maybe you'll be able to use. My name is Mike. Every week I discuss topics that I care about. Hopefully you find them of value as well. Today's Daily Dose is partly brought to you by Grassdoor. Cannabis delivery made simple. Save a whopping 40% on your first purchase. Just use the code DAILY at checkout. The rest of the sponsor links are in the description below, and it does help the channel a great deal, so I appreciate it. You'll also find Dr. Lucinda Sykes' information and links down below as well. Hi. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good to see you. Hello. Same here. It's been a long time, hasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it feels like that. Well, for me, it's a long winter, you see. Yeah. Oh, is it? Is it uh, worse this year than previous years? Well, I'm not a fan of winter, despite the fact I'm a Canadian, Western Canada. I'm accustomed to the winter, but I don't really enjoy it. (laughs) I understand. Yeah. Are summers any better in Canada? Or in your part? Oh, yes. Oh, there's great beauty in Canada. I'm not, not dismissing the beauty. It's just the physical discomfort. But gosh, you folks in California, the nature's having its way with you. I suppose so. Yeah. But <laughs> oh. look, it, it's, 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 you know, one extreme or another. Like, oh my God, we're in a drought. What do we do? <laughs> not enough water. Raise, you know, raise the prices of water. You know, can't water your lawn. Now we have too much water. Oh, my God, what do we do? (laughs) You know, infrastructure can't handle it. (laughs) Yeah, we're baffled. Yeah. Yeah. And it's surprising. It's very very surprising that uh, they're just underprepared year after year for much of these things. Oh, yeah. And the climate scientists have been warning us for a couple of decades. Warning us. I read it now. You know, you read what they were warning 10, 20 years ago, and one's surprised, impressed by how accurate they were. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, looking at that, hasn't it been true that climate has always radically changed over like thousands, hundreds of thousands of years? Like yes. really long periods of time. Yeah. Oh, most certainly. Yeah. So we get the change of, Hundreds of thousands of years, we're going to get it in a few decades. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Or, I mean, maybe we're just creeping up on the next, you know, uh, cycle of extreme changes. Yeah, um, which we've brought upon ourselves. Good for us. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, what do, what do you do? Um, so, those... as individuals, one is helpless. One is helpless. Yeah. yeah, one is helpless. Yeah. And it's industry that needs to change. But... I mean, petroleum is in everything. You know, good luck getting packaged food. Yeah. Without without some kind of petroleum byproduct to package it so you can buy it. And that's just one form and there's so many. Yeah, I'm looking forward to stepping on my next uh, airplane. (laughs) (laughs) I've been in the thought process of like, look, what's happening with hemp and cannabis? Oh, yes. And a century ago, it was used to make many different byproducts from hemp could we discover some type of plastic to, yeah um, oh to... yeah brilliant minds of our time to focus on this problem which is what would have happened if we had recognized climate change for the armageddon that it is then the brilliant young people would have focused on this because we'd be paying them money to focus on it. If every university around the world had had a department devoted to the problem, guess where we would be today? But um, uh, Too many happen. special interests, though. Yeah. I mean, way too many. Yeah, it's way like, too many. Yeah. How, how, do, you, how do you convince... Uh, global leaders to push against uh uh big oil and oh yeah everything else that's kind of surrounding yeah. it it's because it's not just them um yeah. obviously we have issues with pollution and 
I don't know. This, you know, it's kind oh, of. I don't iffy. have the solution for it. Although I would observe overall that our species probably is fatally flawed. <laughs> 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 but that's not really a surprise. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, in some ways, sure. And at the same time, I think flawed in the sense of um, how we have conducted ourselves and how society has come to where it is. I, yeah, I, I, don't know I would agree. Outcome. I won't be alive to see it. But, yeah. Oh, you never know. You know, brain implants could maybe <laughs> extend your life for another 20, 30 years. I don't know. That's yeah, a possibility. Well, I think this little story's run its course and to some extent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The story of myself. It's well, meant to have a beginning and an end. Right. That's how stories are. Right. Uh, I mean, even a long run serial or, you know, eventually... There's a final episode. <laughs> hmm. Kind of, kind of sad to think about, but also, oh. um, it it makes me feel as if like, with that, you know, life is short, but also pretty long. Short. Oh yes, it's very long. Don't worry, Mike. You know, eventually you'll recognize that death is not in any way a tragedy. The old age is not a tragedy. It's a triumph. It's a triumph. It's not a tragedy. But when you're still in the first half of life, in what Jung calls the morning of life, then it's a, you know, it's a tragedy. Who wants to die? Blah, blah. But uh, you'll see. And yeah. who wants to live forever? I mean, that can get pretty boring, too, I guess, yeah. after experiencing everything under the sun. Yeah. I, You know, I say short but long. You know, short for those that may have not lived fully and have regrets and long for those who suffer a great deal uh, for much of their lives. I mean, it just depends on your perspective. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, the unhappy, they die. Statistically, they die younger. Yeah. Really? Just oh, like yeah. stress and depression yeah. and wow. Loneliness. I've experienced that for a number of years, you know, loneliness. It's a strange feeling. I'm just like, I don't understand this, but um, I was one of the fortunate ones. Yeah, yeah. Even to be born into the cultures we were born into is good fortune. And yeah, and maybe we've made it the occasional wise decision along the route. <laughs> uh, we <laughs> Countering were those other decisions. <laughs> oh, with so many decisions. You know, they say, um, if you can make five good choices per day, your life can uh, steer in a better direction yeah. long term. Just five yeah. better choices yeah. um, per day. Yeah. Doesn't seem like much, but some choices are made, um, I want to say, unconsciously, like they're triggered by emotional uh, desires or ambition or, you know, whatever it may be. But I'd offer that most choices are decided unconsciously. Most, you say? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's what I would suggest. That's what the evidence would suggest. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I believe it. It's just yeah. my own reflection suggests the same thing. Yeah. So, and we have just a modicum of willpower, just a modicum, not vats of willpower. We've got just a little bit. That's, that's tough because um, everything designed is kind of working against that. Yeah. You know, entertainment and food and... Yeah. Substances yeah. and I mean, all kinds of stimuli yeah. that just, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of wear away at your uh, uh, self-discipline. Yeah. yeah, it's our precious little resource. And you're right. Lots of people have vested interests in us not really using it skillfully. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, though. <laughs> A great deal of profit made. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so very grateful to have you back on. I've been yeah. thinking so much about like sleep disorders. Okay. I haven't been sleeping that well this past month, maybe longer. I've lost track, but yeah. I don't feel great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You won't. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah. It's. I mean, we're creatures. 
That, that's how you stress a creature is keep it up. Keep it awake. I, well, I, I can't even think of what's causing it other than just I, I work late. I put my kids to bed at 7, 8 o'clock, and then I work for another three hours or four hours in the evening, and then midnight comes around, I fall asleep, and then my my eldest wakes me up at 6 for breakfast, <laughs> and and I'm just like, I can't keep doing this. Yeah, the children are closer to the rhythms of nature. Yeah, are they? Yeah, so like early, um, early yeah, to bed, early uh, to rise. Yeah, they're creatures, and we are too. But we've got this noisy, noisy mind riding on top there. <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah. Well, among all of these things, uh, the dream state is what's really interested me a lot. I mean, uh, out of both both things, I'm just curious. Um, there is that was what a, you'd like to talk about today? Or you, what, what should we develop? Are we? Are you recording right now? Or are we? Always, we, yes, we're always recording because we oh, can't okay. we can't miss a moment of that's a uh, spirit. Yeah, some <laughs> podcasters, you know, I talk to them, and there's a moment when it's lights, camera, action. Right, but, right. Uh, no, for you, no, no. we're always on stage. Well, that's grand. That's grand. Yes, yeah. and, and and honestly, it's um. Uh, you know, the conversation is conversation. It uh, it doesn't have to yes. be like immediately to the point. But... I agree, actually. Yeah, I think that's what the medium really benefits from when it's true conversation. Yeah, an exchange of mutual interest and other people participate without us even knowing them. Those people of the future. Yeah. <laughs> I love this well, medium, this podcast medium. Yeah, yeah, the long form and the and just laughs and smiles and learning yeah. and and yeah. and information. Um, you know, I forget. I'm sure you told me. Like, how long have you been practicing uh, medicine for specifically for sleep? Well, I'm I'm a I'm a long form story. <laughs> it's okay. I, I began medical practice back in the late seventies. Okay. And I, and I practiced family medicine for. I was at that clinic for a, a number of years, maybe it was five years. I developed a particular interest in uh, psychotherapy, and uh, I decided against psychiatry uh, for various reasons. Some of this is on my website, uh, and uh, but I um, was very interested in psychotherapy. I mentored with two uh, excellent Jungian analysts and went to Zurich, and you know I've done the whole. The whole route, uh, I began practicing uh, psychotherapy as a physician in Toronto, and I did so again for a number of years. And then I I learned of uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, uh, John Kabat-Zinn's great breakthrough, bringing the, uh, shall we say, the depth psychology or the benefits of mindfulness into a uh, Western context, and specifically presenting it in such a way that science could uh, investigate because uh, John Kabat-Zinn's background is a scientist. So he, he developed MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction. And uh, I followed that and uh, started my clinic in Toronto back in 97. Uh, and I, I, I trained, I'm, I'm a perennial student. So I trained in MBSR for many years and offered my programs to medical patients, uh, more than six thousand patients went through the uh, the clinic, Mike. And uh, but then COVID came in. Uh, we all remember, don't we? Twenty twenty, <laughs> and <laughs> I had to uh, stop my uh, teaching. I'd been teaching medical groups of uh, from MBSR for all those years, so I stopped, and then I. Uh, Again, I'm I'm kind of versatile, and I shifted into the online world. And I had been interested in sleep since oh, family practice days, and before that, my own family had sleep issues. The ladies had problems sleeping, so um, I, I decided, as the online world really encourages one to to narrow one's focus. In my clinic, I was teaching everyone who. Uh, who was referred to me, all my patients at the clinic were referred by other physicians for an eight-week program. So uh, in my online work, I have narrowed to uh, sleep. And um, it, uh, it suits me very well because uh, 
sleep is a fascinating topic. Uh, whether you approach it in the psychological way, which I do through my background with Jungian psychology and dream analysis, or if you approach it in a more, shall we say, scientific manner, which is also my ballywick because I'm a family physician with a great interest in the science of medicine. So I, I, um, I really stay up to date and uh, more so in the field of sleep medicine. So I uh, work with the women over 50 because uh, I really enjoy working with my older ladies and uh, I'm an older lady myself. And uh, it's a great pleasure to assist women to get, uh, get deeper sleep, to get more sleep. And very often they're being held up by misunderstandings. And there's many different causes for sleep problems, especially in the second half of life. And I find this fascinating. And uh, so that, that's a rather lengthy reply to your question. But, uh, that's, uh, that's my background. <laughs> Well, thank you for the refresher, though. it's um, You've had quite the career, and it's amazing to see just how many different areas you touched up on. Um, for today, some of my interests have been like um, sleep disorders. For example, like I've noticed my mother is going through sleep apnea, and I found it odd. Yeah, oh. um, because I'm, she, it's like it developed almost overnight. Or maybe it was always there, but milder, yes. and it wasn't noticeable. Yes, it's a very interesting question. You see, sleep science is a very alive field. And now we're coming to recognize that sleep apnea is more common in women than was realized. Initially, we thought it was primarily the men who were afflicted. And it can be very common for older women. Yeah. It, it, but it's strange that it just kind of like surfaced later on in her life. Oh, is, yes. that, is that common? Well, that's where my spidey sense tingles a bit, you know. Okay. If you're in medicine long enough, you've seen diagnostic labels come and go, and gosh, you've seen therapeutic modalities come and go, even the important drugs, they come and go. And uh, this sudden discovery of the prevalence of sleep apnea amongst women, especially older women, you know, that'll work its way through. Uh, the mo imp most important thing is to focus on the individual because we want to get enough oxygen. <laughs> you know, the body runs on oxygen and sleep apnea is the problem of, you know, obstruction to your airway during sleep. Hence like, the, like the snoring, like in yes. this general area. and Yeah, it's, it's uh, almost a mechanical problem. Huh. Yeah. So and the person does have usually they, they've got this quality of snoring and there'll be interruptions in their sleep. Of course, they're not aware because, hey, they're asleep. Yeah. But those around them are aware of it. Yeah, I, I find it um, really odd um, just how like how it came to be, because just a few years ago, it just became a thing. And I mean, she always snored, but the. um but it got worse over time. Yeah, yeah. And we want to intervene as soon as we recognize it because, you know, the body needs oxygen. And uh, whether one can determine the precise cause for the sudden appearance of the, uh, of the problem, uh, that's important, of course. But what's really important is to ensure that the individual is getting sufficient oxygen every night. I've noticed a common theme, though. I don't particularly notice it when she's in bed, but I've noticed it um, when she's upright and just kind of passed out on the couch, like like yeah. neck back, like head head cocked back, and yeah. um. So, is that is that? the mechanics is that well that's a great question you see because that's possibly one of the dirty little secrets of the field there's all these fancy devices you can buy at considerable <laughs> cost to give you a steady stream of oxygen through the night and that's all to the good however i've had other people tell me lucinda i just stopped sleeping on my back so i just don't sleep on my back anymore and uh 
I didn't need that CPAP machine. Really? Yeah. One man told me that he read about putting, uh, strapping a tennis ball uh, around to his back so that he couldn't sleep on his back. And uh, a, a lot of the snoring problems and so on just disappeared. He had for a while, and you know, it, it's difficult to learn new habits, but uh, he intervened behavior modification and right. uh, a lot cheaper than the CPAP machine. And maybe you get better results too. Uh, but I, 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 I would There's be concerned also about weight. You know, sometimes it's just, there's so much flesh at the neck. And so if we lose some weight, uh, that will also clear the airways, so to speak. Interesting. Oh, and of course, that's... there's the various gizmos you can put in your mouth to help keep the airway open, of course. I've, I've seen those too. Probably the, one of the more affordable applications, I'd imagine. Um, but I, um, I would be more concerned, like a tennis ball in your back to prevent you from <laughs> I would be concerned about like uh, spinal damage at that point. It's like every time you want to flip over to your back, you're like, ah, what is that? You know, in the middle of your I sleep. don't know the details of his experience. He had read about it and he said he tried it and he, he doesn't sleep on his back anymore. So fascinating though so i don't yeah. know whether that'll work for listeners but maybe you don't need a big tennis ball maybe <laughs> some walnuts might do the job well yeah maybe they're small Something enough that makes it uncomfortable to sleep on your back yeah right that's really interesting and um yeah. i mean yes it's annoying for for any anyone to to have to hear it but then it's um it's just kind of odd like well, where did this kind of pop out up of the blue like that. Yeah, yeah. Out, of, out of the blue and it's just like worsening and worsening i'm like uh, i asked her once are you aware of this have you spoken to your doctor and obviously she doesn't know just like you said most don't even know what's yeah, happening that's, that's the, uh, the the serious issue that one is not getting sufficient oxygen nightly can someone die well i, I one worries about um cognitive decline oh oh yeah we, the brain needs its oxygen yeah we want we want we want the brain to get more than enough oxygen yeah well that leads that leads my brain to a whole nother thing and almost as if like i i've been witnessing some kind of cognitive decline in her um and i wonder if if that has something to do with it that's kind of sad man <laughs> well it's an important topic most definitely i'm very interested in that as well given that i'm interested in sleep and you know uh, the well-being of older women yeah cognition is very important of course she, she's become more for, forgetful about small yeah. things and maybe this is the cause i'll try to address it with her see if i can help her in any way because that's um, that's terrible. It's not just uh, sleep. I, I mean, my goodness, um, the lack of oxygen causing more problems cognitively. Um, it's unbelievable. It also it affects the heart, of course, too. Yeah, yeah. First thing I'll do when I system. Yeah. First thing I do when I see her again is uh, yeah. I'll probably address this and uh, and see if I can help her in any way. Because that's um, that sounds incredibly dangerous and uh, scary yeah it's more than just noise for the bed partner <clears throat> right yeah. right right yeah that's horrifying can can um so cognitive decline but not necessarily death right like no one can actually choke while experiencing this can they choke and maybe die i i haven't heard that as a serious risk factor but okay. it's not my field, and maybe there is, and again, it's a, all of sleep science is so fertile these days. Maybe there's even a published paper just came out. But uh, I, I wouldn't think that death would be the big risk here. I think it would be things like cardiovascular risks and cognitive decline. Yeah. Yeah, but cardiovascular issues could lead to yeah, more. You're right. Yeah, more. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I guess it depends on the severity of it. I mean, this is just one, you know, one thing on our, on our first episode together, we talked about insomnia and, and 
using either medications or natural remedies. And I know you said that those aren't really, those aren't really what you want to lean on, at least not forever. Well, it's, you don't want to impair your brain, especially when you are sleeping oddly. So, so sleep from the brain's perspective is much more than the absence of wakefulness. Like the brain is oddly, the brain is not asleep. The brain right. is metabolically active during the sleep state. It's actively going through stages of brainwave changes, uh, stages, and also uh, in uh, parallel with this, the brain has physiological changes. The brain is actively cleansing itself through the night. We get uh, a, a power wash, as one sleep scientist calls it, of cerebrospinal fluid because the um, some of the brain cells step aside. They open up channels so that the uh, central spinal uh, cerebral spinal fluid can flow through the brain and clear away the um, the toxic materials. And much of this toxic material is the outcome of all that cognition we've been doing during the day. Like you and I are having our conversation and the brain is slowly but definitely accumulating various toxic materials, metabolites as an outcome of our, our lofty conversation. And then when we sleep, the brain will cleanse itself. It will wash it away. And if you give yourself chemicals that, you know, you kind of pass out and say, well, I'm asleep now. Well, you don't say it, but in the morning you say, well, I slept. But the, what you ha may have done, and in many cases, the evidence is there now, for example, with sleeping pills, you have actually impaired the brain's capacity to heal itself and likely do some of the other functions that the brain so well does when we are sleeping. So really, the best is not to impair your brain. Don't take in any chemicals of whatever source, because you want your brain to operate as nature intended. What's what, if any, uh, consequence of um, the over the over uh, buildup of these toxins? Like, do we know of anything that shows us what happens if? these chemicals or the toxins can't be washed away or if yeah. there's I oh, that's you... the sad that's there there's the, the problem we were just talking about is dementia that's what happens oh big time and this is uh i'm just the messenger uh fascinating <laughs> studies now uh um uh, British, I find British science sometimes so incredible. Uh, the Back in the, I believe it was the 80s, civil servants in uh, Great Britain, principally, I think, England, uh, were engaged in an ongoing study extended for, was it 25 years, maybe longer, called the Whitehall Studies. So these, uh, these citizens, they were primarily civil servants, uh, were submitting information about their health for 25 years. And so now we're getting to look at the outcome of lifestyle uh, on uh, health. And a um, fascinating study came out, I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, showing us that if uh, in your midlife, shall we say in your 50s, you have the habit of sleeping um, six hours or less, then as life proceeds a few decades later, you have a 30% increase in your risk of dementia. That's like Alzheimer's, that you you were sleeping six hours or less, and there's a 30% increased risk for Alzheimer's, um, you know, a couple of decades later. That is very frightening. Isn't it? Six Isn't it? And you don't less. even know. You're just living your life and you maybe even brag. Some public figures have done so. They brag about how I don't need much sleep. I sleep only four hours a day or nonsense like this and they're bragging about it and they don't they're actually talking about uh self-harm you know long they term are yeah themselves. yeah well let's say public figures right uh somebody wealthy enough what you know what can money buy to fix that if it was uh if it was caught soon enough well one needs to determine why it is that they are sleeping so little it would, you know, there may be a few individuals, genetics as such, 
there will be outliers. So there may be some people who are born simply requiring only five or six hours of sleep. That may be their genetic heritage, but it's, it's more likely for an individual that they do require the standards seven or eight hours of sleep that they do really benefit most if they have uh, at least seven hours. And uh, if they're sleeping less than that, they would be encouraged to learn if there is a way to sleep longer. Now, it's not just the duration of sleep that matters. It's the quality of sleep, too. That's why, you know, eating some sleeping pills and you pass out for nine hours. I wouldn't recommend that at all because the state you've been in is not a natural sleep state. So it's, it's not just about the duration of your sleep. It is about the quality of your sleep. But seven hours of natural sleep a night, I think for most people, you would want to consider that a kind of minimum to be supporting your health. As the study I just uh, indicated there, that was six hours was the tipping point. If you were sleeping six hours regularly in your 50s, you had this increased risk for Alzheimer's uh, uh, some decades later. And of course, Alzheimer's doesn't just sort of pop up out of the blue. You may have been suffering gradual um, cognitive decline without quite recognizing it. Wow. Isn't it? This is very serious. You, you see, Mike, this is why I find the field so fascinating. It, it's a mystery. In many cases, the individual is dealing with the mystery of their sleep problem, and the consequences can be so important. I mean, I could tell you right now, I don't feel great. You know, five or six hours. I've been doing this for about a month now, and um, I don't like it. I was telling my wife last night, like, I can't do this anymore. Kids got to no. be in bed by seven, you know, yeah. so I can finish yeah. work by 10 because I well, can't, I, I can't live this. Many way. people, many people need to become their own farmer. They need to go back to the land. They need to care for their crops. They need to care for their nature dutifully. We are creatures and uh, certainly sleep is one property of the human being that responds well to regularity, routine. And we know that we send the kids to bed at their bedtime. <laughs> it's, but it also tells me that um, uh, that goes in line with what you're saying is the uh, the production of um, natural chemicals in our brain, right? Like melatonin yeah. and GABA that are produced naturally kind of um gearing up for the sleep cycle kind of letting you oh, know yes. oh yes so we cultivate what nature has given us we care for for this and then nature provides this is what cultivation is about the farmer doesn't grow the crop but the farmer sets up the situation where the crop will flourish yeah. right and the and the nurturing of yes yeah, I mean, this is these these are some of the. I mean, this is like just one or two of the things that we know as as I've kind of gone through some of the most common sleep disorders. Um, some of these I didn't even know were considered as a sleep disorder, but yes. for example, like RLS. Um, for those that don't know, restless yes, leg the, syndrome. Right, right. Yeah. I was always under the impression RLS was mostly a um a consequence of uh the abuse of some type of drug and the and a symptom that arises because of withdrawal am i am i incorrect about well the be. thought well again you see uh, uh, so much of psychiatry and uh sleep disorders they fit into the psychiatric realm um although with rls they're kind of bleeding into other other fields in medicine too. But uh, the psychiatric um, diagnostic labels are, um, are uh, vague. And I do hope the psychiatrists listening aren't offended. They probably are saying, well, yeah, it's true. Uh, that, um, the chap's name, Ensel, uh, he was the head psychiatrist of the uh, uh, um, National Institute's of uh, mental health, I believe, in the States for some years. He said as much that uh, the uh, diagnostic labels 
uh, of the um, DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, which is sometimes called the Bible of Psychiatry, are not diagnostic labels as you might see in infectious diseases. Like if someone has uh, syphilis or tuberculosis, we know the causative agent and, uh, you know, it, quite rightly, we give it a diagnosis. But when you're dealing in, uh, with the psychiatric diagnoses, often you're dealing more with what we call a syndrome. You're dealing with symptoms, but they're not necessarily the outcome of a single biological process. So consequently, the treatment of the diagnostic labels of psychiatry can be kind of broad and uh, uh, difficult to, uh, to manage. This Does is why you say sense? vague. Well, that was just me speaking in a colloquialism. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> this, but, uh, uh, but I, I guess believe that... the chap's name is Insel, but I'd have to consult my notes here. He gave an interview uh, a, a couple of years ago. I have a transcript of it. And he's saying uh, that, that he says that uh, the DSM wasn't, wasn't intended to be like an encyclopedia. He said it was intended to be like a dictionary so that uh, the clinicians could all be talking about the same collection of symptoms. So they could all talk about, uh, you know, this disorder or that, and they'd all be talking about the same thing, but it wasn't meant to imply that they have a single cause or a preferred single treatment that that's not really working in psychiatry. I see. I, well, that's that's a complicated topic, right? It psychiatry is. And it's, I'm and... so glad now that I'm a retired physician, I can speak very forthrightly about what I have observed through the years of practice. Well, I'm sure it's tough as a professional in your field, uh, much like have how we've seen, um, for example, Jordan Peterson being attacked by the community of uh, professionals for opinions he has or professional opinions that he has shared. I don't know how you feel about him. Specifically. Well, I, he's a philosopher. I mean, I'm a clinician. I like to help the, the individual. I like to help the, the client or the patient. I like to help the individual. Now, if a little bit of philosophy will be of assistance, by gosh, I like to offer it if I can. But just to pick up swords and debate philosophical concepts. I'm not that interested. And that's part of the problem with, uh, again, returning to this idea of the, the vagueness of diagnostic labels in psychiatry. Now we're learning in more detail about uh, the diagnostic label of uh, depressive disorders. And, uh, you know, the go-to for years has been the um, uh, antidepressants. And the dominant theory has been that major depression and allied conditions are the outcome of, shall we say, neurochemical imbalance in the brain. And we talk about serotonin uh, deficits and so on. And now our research is showing us that, by gosh, in many cases, it's just not true. Really? And I think that what we're looking at is that there's various conditions that cause people to have these symptoms that are called major depression or, you know, the, the related conditions. They're given the same diagnostic label, but actually different things are going on. And so that's true in the sleep disorders. So you can be having a sleep problem because you, you stay up too late with a lot of blue light blasting at you and your poor body gives up, it doesn't make enough melatonin and it's all discombobulated because sleep wants routine. So that could be the outcome. But also you could be staying up late and so on, or maybe you do try to get to bed early, but you're dealing with a legacy of childhood trauma. We have evidence now that if you had a lot of childhood trauma or even some significant childhood trauma, that can make you vulnerable to sleep problems. And then you just add a few other factors on board and presto, you've got something that maybe a physician would give a diagnostic label to and say, hey, you've got a sleep disorder, but maybe it's not the same uh, as another individual whose other factors are involved. So good, you know, if you're trying to help a person with sleep problems and it's protracted and the basic simple things don't help them, it's rather like a detective story. You have to really 
sit with their, their lives and get a sense of what's going on. I think that's uh, what you do is very unique, considering that um, uh, the medical community just uh, just doesn't have the time. So a doctor right. generally doesn't have the time when he's going to see about 50 or more patients a day. It. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're dealing with this. Cool. Here's a script. That's where the prescription pad comes in. Yeah. yeah. Like, give this a try. Yeah. The prescription pad comes in and uh, that's where physicians then begin to abrogate their responsibility. Because we all know, if you look at the the research and even our regulatory bodies advise us, that you don't give sleep uh, uh, prescriptions for sleeping pills for longer than three or maximum four weeks. And even that is controversial, I would say. But it's easier in, you know, everyday practice to just keep giving the sleep pill prescriptions because the patients don't realize that this stuff is toxic. And well, we trust our doctors, right? We, yes. you know, the fiduciary duty to take care of us. Yeah. But yeah. it's, um, but I think it's misunderstood. Uh, and there's two sides to the story, right? You as a patient well, want results. Sleeping, pill, sleeping pills are a godsend for the poor person who has had a tremendous, you know, they, they've lost their beloved child or they've suffered a serious romantic uh, you know, turmoil, or they've had surgery, or they're in an accident, they can't sleep. So they, the sleeping pills could be of assistance for a few weeks to help them get through this acute state. You don't want right. the, the, the patient to get the habit of sleeplessness. You don't want that. So you give them a sleeping pill for a, f a couple of weeks, but you do not continue it because it's bad news for the brain. Long we know I mean, there's an increased I, incidence of dementia with sleeping pills and uh, heart problems with sleeping pills and even cancer and an increased mortality risk. It's all in the scientific literature. I'm not being a quack in uh, citing this. Uh, well, I mean, it's uh, I wish I wish it was more out there, more in front of like you would you would only find out if you went and researched it yourself as an individual or a patient experiencing yes. this and oftentimes i hear the stories you know people will do their research and try to talk to their primaries and their primaries say like oh you know what you're on webmd again type of you know response and kind yeah. of brush it off at times um and, and it makes patients oh, yeah. upset. It makes people upset. They're like, he's not listening to me or she's not listening to me. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I resonate with that. I'm so, I'm enjoying this last stage of my career to speak forthrightly. You know, my, my, uh, my own grandmother succumbed to Alzheimer's in her 60s, which is, is early. And nobody else in her family had had this condition. But I remember her every night taking her sleeping pills that the doctor prescribed. Every night I used to go to the drugstore and get her these darn things. And then when I started to really look at the, uh, at the research literature, I was horrified to think of what had happened to her. Yeah, without her knowing, it's just kind of like, no. you know, I'm, ta I'm taking what I was told to take and it's working as, yes. as far as she knows. Yeah. yeah, as far as she knows, because she's, you know, not she's asleep, so to speak. She's not a natural sleep. Her brain is not being sufficiently cleansed, but she doesn't know that. Gosh. And at that time, we didn't know that. So the physicians of that era didn't, didn't cotton to that. Yeah. But now, you know, as I say, the regulatory bodies here in North America and in Europe as well advise physicians to not give patients sleeping uh, pills for longer than three or four weeks. Wow. I mean, that that is the most responsible thing to do, at least educate and let them know. Um, there's one more sleep disorder that I was curious about, and then I want to jump into dream states. If Oh, well, if there's an right. ocean for you. <laughs> You're going to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> Flap um, about for a long time in that one. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just so curious about it. But oh, the, yes. This last one is narcolepsy, and I just don't understand oh, yes. enough about this. Even yeah. even the brief reading I've done, I'm like, I don't. It's not really my get field. It. I I wouldn't want to say too much about it. It's relatively rare, and okay. uh, in all my years of practice, I cannot recall having 
worked with a patient with that condition, although given that I taught so many people MBSR, I wouldn't be surprised if I did have a few patients with that condition, but just doesn't come to my memory. Yeah. I mean, you said 6,000 people you've helped yes, treat. Yes, isn't that yeah. astonishing? Yeah. Yes, it is. In your career, that's a that's a lot yeah. of people to have yeah. helped. Teaching mindfulness. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, mindfulness. The, the great benefits of mindfulness. Yeah. I, I mean, the world would be a better place uh, for everybody. I mean, practicing mindfulness for yourself, but as well, you I'm see still how it doing is. so. I'm I'm teaching uh, programs of mindfulness still. Uh, so my my individual coaching is with women who can't sleep, but I'm also teaching group programs of mindfulness for women 50 plus. I'm just in the middle of teaching such a group right now. Um, MBSR, uh, mindfulness based stress reduction. And uh, that, of course, is valuable for um, for sleep problems, uh, but it can be valuable for other conditions, especially anxiety. That's also another condition. It's very responsive to mindfulness. Yeah. I think about the the term mindfulness based stress reduction. Yes. It's it's like, is it the the hyper awareness of like what you may be feeling and what is triggering the the stress or the anxieties is that is that kind of like what you're describing well mindfulness is a practice of uh attention of awareness and uh, john kabat-zinn has basically taken a practice that you see has been most developed in the traditions of uh, of asia of buddhism in particular he took this practice and then adapted it so it's very accessible to people who are not Buddhist. Right. And mindfulness <laughs> itself, well, gosh, we have the capacity to be mindful uh, right at the outset. I tell people when they show up to the program that what you have come for, you already have. And uh, what the program is going to do is to point to this aspect of yourself, this capacity you have. And then we're going to help you turn to it each day so that you become more familiar with that side of yourself. And then it will become like an extra room in your house so that you're going to get a bigger house. We're not going to interfere with the mind. We're not going to improve the mind, but we're going to point to size of yourself that you don't visit as much as you might. Which I would imagine is... Um surprising for newcomers at at that very moment yes, but because but our like, culture is fixated on goals and accomplishment right and so the idea that hey what you've come for you already have uh, we get befuddled we wonder what the heck <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> what did i sign up for <laughs> yes yes <laughs> this woman's a quack i'm sure <laughs> uh wow <laughs> yes but the research is hundreds seriously, hundreds of research papers showing the benefits of participating in a MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction. And it's benefits not only in the psychological realm, but also into the physical realm too, problems of chronic pain, um, immune conditions, um, all of it goes on and on, in fact. Yeah. That, We've yeah, got a lot of those studies listed at the website. Yeah. Which it will be linked down below, just like last time, for anyone interested oh, sure. in diving into it. So hopefully, we drive a lot of traffic to your website and <sighs> to the to the work that you do for anyone interested. I mean, that is the purpose. Um, you know, thinking about sleep and psychology and how it's all interwoven together. I I, I feel like as people open up the the possibility the door of possibility to explore these new ideas it's uh it's finally happening it's like a revolution that's occurring oh yes the field of sleep science sleep medicine is, is uh, burgeoning I, I mean so all medicine i mean all medicine but also just people's people's perceptions of like what um you know what is medicine and how you know and very similar topics to that. For example, like tomorrow I have a guest for functional medicine and I've been yes, like learning so much about that because yes. it's, um, it's kind of what uh, doctors will eventually be in the future. 
working on preventative medicine uh, versus just uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, Magic bullet medicine. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, you call it that. Well, let's uh, let's dive into that next part because I'm excited. I had some very strange dreams last night, and I don't even understand them. It's rare that I remember them. How like how much can you tell me as to um dreams and what what could they mean or why do we even dream? What is that? Well, you see, the question is an enormous question. Is it okay? Sorry. <laughs> well, it, it depends on your perspective, your your viewpoint, your attitude. If you are a uh, materialist, rational scientist. Uh, which I can put on that cap and do that one. Uh, then you look to brain waves, and you look now. We've got the MRI machines that let us take pictures of the brain, and and we can uh, assess the chemistry, the chemical changes that occur in the sleep state, and how those changes are modified when we're dreaming. And so we can. There's more and more and more uh, facts in this field and then we can draw conclusions and we can make broad statements like dreaming uh, helps us to integrate our life experience and in particular it seems to help us deal with the emotions and it helps us uh, relate to other people for example people who are sleep deprived are less able to read the emotions of their um, of other people. We, we human beings are very skilled of uh, being able to look at another person's face and kind of guess what the heck's going on. And we can tell primarily, this is back to our evolutionary roots, we can tell if that person is a friend or a foe. You know, are they going to chop off our head or, you know, offer us a banana? And uh, we can look at their face and we get a feel for it. We are Evolution has endowed us with tremendous capacity to read the face of other people. And if we haven't gotten enough sleep, that capacity is impaired. And some of this is the outcome of dreaming, because when we are dreaming, we are processing the events of the previous day. And so if we've had a traumatic experience the dream, the dream process seems to lessen the emotions and help us become wise because wisdom uh, lessens the emotions. And it's all, it can be approached in a very scientific manner. For example, I was so interested to read the work of Matthew Walker, has been um, this uh, science I'm pointing to right now. Uh, he's been involved in that, looking at the brain's biological changes that occur when we are dreaming. So that's the whole scientific, material, rational viewpoint. But if you go to the other end of the spectrum, and that's where Dr. Walker, that's not really his field, uh, you come to uh, the level of meaning. And science is not very good with meaning. We can look at the brain and say, oh, yes, this, this section is activated, and that means that the person is cognating they're thinking about this or that or we, that section is activated and that means they're having a fear reaction we can look at that but the the in the world of psychology and more truthfully in depth psychology and in analysis psychoanalytic work my background's with Jung um, meaning is so significant and uh, we human beings we thrive on meaning and the absence of meaning um is not good for us. If we're lonely and we don't have a sense of our direction in life, life seems to be meaningless. That's toxic. It will, you know, even lead us to an, an earlier death, in fact, some evidence of that. We require meaning. And you cannot judge that by looking at a brainwave pattern or even uh, an MRI photo of the brain. That, and all that, dreams all that. are about meaning, aren't they? Right. I mean, uh, MRIs and, and brain scans only show us activity of the brain. It's, it doesn't really tell us anything else, does it? It's just showing us, okay, yeah. there's there's activity here during sleep, and it's um, and maybe able to measure the amount of activity or yeah. for how long. But 
Um, I doubt it would ever be able to tell us the meaning of no, you know, why someone is exactly. seeing. Yeah. You it's can bizarre. read for, for years, you can read the science of it, and still your, your life can be bereft of meaning and you're a very impoverished individual. But you know all the facts there are to know about the neuroscience of sleep and dreams. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, it's rare that I remember my dreams, but I briefly remember some of uh, the one from last night. And I, I slept terribly last night. I'm, um, I don't know. It was odd. I went to bed by 10, 30, 11, and I effectively fell asleep by, I think, one or two. And I can't understand why. I, that was the whole purpose. It's like, I need to get to bed earlier, finish my work earlier, get oh, to yeah, bed regularity. Earlier. You may be suffering uh, sleep procrastination. It's a very common problem these days. People put off uh, sleep. They just want to get one more thing done online or something. And, uh, the, and they do this in erratic ways so that some days they go to bed earlier than other days. And uh, it's called sleep procrastination. There's even... Uh, published uh, scientific research on this problem, yeah. self-induced. Yeah, I think the story yeah. is that human beings are the only one, only creatures that will purposefully put off sleep. I mean, if <laughs> only only an individual can determine what what is worth more yes. uh, than sleep. Oh yes, um, and um, I thrive for work. I just uh, yeah. it's just my own ambition of doing the things that I want to do, but it's also the, the pressures of um, success yeah. that um, if, <laughs> if I don't meet or exceed my goals, I only have myself to blame because I didn't spend yeah. enough time. I didn't apply. I didn't put in the effort. And so I push and I push and I continue. This is where working. your meaning is. Yeah. You appreciate this meaning. Yeah. It's beautiful. And then as so often the case, it's about balance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the that's that pernicious fact that life requires balance in many different realms. And that's, that's a good use for, for reason. I'm not always a fan of reason, rational behavior, but um, self-care in a reasoned way could be useful. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to figure that out for myself, won't I? Yeah, well, what that little tidbit I was giving you about regularity, that's called sleep hygiene. It's an old-fashioned word, but it's a good one. Uh, and there are um, almost any reputable uh, site online will give you a bulleted list of sleep hygiene tips. You know, uh, regular exposure to light at the same time, uh, dimming the lights later in the day and turning off the blue light however it comes to you, because that for sure, lots of science now showing that blue light, uh, that end of the spectrum uh, suppresses melatonin release in the brain. So, uh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's chilling actually to read this. Any, and you know, I, I know this stuff and I could still be up late reading the research about sleep procrastination. I remember once doing that <laughs> and I, was, I, I had to smile to myself. Yeah, I had my blue light glasses on, however, but still. <laughs> do those, I mean, do those work? Are I, they effective? I I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking at some research. Yeah, the real ones, not the, you know, the plastic in the drugstore. Maybe that's suspect. Okay, but, uh, not like some Amazon product that you can just order and have well, delivered tomorrow. Well, I did some tomorrow. research and I, I found a reputable source online. I won't promote them here, but... Um, uh, yeah, there's a certain wavelength that you want to. What is the wavelength? It doesn't jump into my memory just at this point. Um, uh, people can uh, go to my uh, uh, to my um, sign up sign up to the uh, reading list. I have some, uh, or go to my uh, blog site. I've got uh, I've got a, a paper there about uh, blue light, and there they, I give you the blue light. Um, Wavelength, and you want glasses that uh, cut out that. It's a, a narrow um, range in the uh, visual light spectrum. Well, I'll link it. I'll link it down below <laughs> for people to find. I mean, it's that's because uh, I can't remember the number. My just off the top of my head. It's not a problem. I mean, four seventy-eight um, nanometers, something like you know, that. You're not yes. an encycle encyclopedia <laughs> no. of information where you could just. You know, um, 
bring about information instantly, though the brain is an incredible computer in its own right. I've been very fortunate in this lifetime to be able to play a bit in the library of the mind. Yeah. (laughs) It is cool. It is very cool. Um, Yeah, so you enjoy it too. There's your meaning as well. I, I mean, there's... There's so much to discover and learn. Yes. I, uh, it makes me sad at times that um, there was a there's a scientist named Bob Lazar, and he's got quite the history. Um, but that that's name not, is familiar. I can't place it. I can't position it. But. He he's the one who came out in the late '80s said that he was hired by uh, EGNG to work at Area 51 and reverse oh. engineer technology. So. Um, that's controversial. That's not the reason why I bring him up, though. I I say I've been following his story for a good fifteen years, and um, I um I believe it. I I believe what he's saying because um it's so compelling, and I want to believe. Yeah. So that that's there's an element that can't be. Yeah, that I can want to factor in the way we assess. Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. I bring him up only because um. He said it himself many years ago, and I agree that it's sad the way the world turned out. Because in the 70s, your parents can take you to the general store, and they had like oh. science science kits and all of these things yes. that you can buy and play with. It's not to say that they don't exist anymore, but you have to kind of search for it because more yeah. consumerist type of products that are more lean towards entertainment um, is what you would typically find more often than not. And there's it a makes dumbing me, down in the public yeah. square. Yeah. And it, it makes me sad because I'm like, th- this stuff interests me. If I didn't become an entrepreneur to create the things that I create and find ways to create value for consumers, obviously, because that's what I do, but I would have probably become some sort of scientist or engineer yes. or something because that is where the greatest of interest lies and what, um, what drives my mind to to think about uh, infinite potential possibilities of? But you're how- bringing this to the public square here in podcasting. Sure, you know, Maybe like we can inspire the next great mind when it's used well. Is not a dumbing down. It's a an elevation, a, a possibility of an spreading enlightenment, spreading valuable information. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just confined to the, what they call it, the halls of academe but that people more broadly can be informed in this matter. I, I love the fact that um, because of the internet, a lot of academic um, education is and can be free. People don't realize you'd, yes. oh, you don't have yes. to pay for it all. You can oh, find a lot a of feast. it for free. Yeah. What a feast. They just be able, they must be able to discern what's valuable and what is just, you know, sort of superficial marketing? They need to be able to discern uh, the truth. And for that, they have to rely usually on, you know, informed individuals, dare I say experts, although now they get called influencers or something of the like. Sure. You know? Sure. Well, an expert is... An expert, an influencer is one that, um, um, you know, uh, produces something to get you to purchase or engage something where, where an an expert like yourself is just, uh, educating your, yes, I'm, I'm here primarily because I enjoy this. And also at this stage in my, my life, I, I, I think often of my grandmother and I think, you know, someone needs to say something. In every podcast, I I'm privileged to. I always alert people to the risks of sleeping pills. Well, on that note, I think we're going to call it a day. Okay. But for the next episode, when I have you on, I would love to jump into some some other areas like hypnosis. I don't know how much you know about hypnosis. But I'm very curious. Well, I know a about lot it. about the unconscious, but my I'm in the field of analytical psychology, Carl Jung and the like. And okay. you know, some people they they think that's all nonsense. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, it's uh, it's for the listener to decide, and yes, and the burden it's and it, the burden remains on them to do the research and to um, to make an informed decision because um, there the world is filled with so much information and it moves, yes, significantly faster than it ever has before. So, what is real? What is fake? What is true? Yes. What is false? I mean, um. You know, you tell a lie enough times, it can, you can truly believe that it's true. So I'll end on a very controversial observation from Carl Jung. I'm not quoting him exactly, but it's very prevalent in the Jungian world that the brain functions as a transformer, just as a television set is a transformer. You look at the television. And you would swear that Oprah Winfrey is here. Because, you know, without the television, there's no Oprah Winfrey. But in actual fact, we all know Oprah is not in the television. And in the same way, he understood that the brain is a transformer. And nowadays, we think that the individual, the mind, even the soul, is somehow in the brain. But actually, you know... The TV can be gone, but Oprah continues. Wonderful. Yes, yes. It's just an idea. There you go. <laughs> it's something that I'll uh, spend some time thinking about. Yes, yeah, so nice to chat with you, Mike, and to connect with what I'm sure is a very interesting listening audience. Yes. Good wishes to everybody. And yeah. I'm so very grateful to every single one of them that uh, that tune in and want to uh, appreciate what it is we're trying to do. Yes. So. Yes. Who are interested in these matters. Yes. Yeah. I'm so. respectful. Thank you again for this invitation. Are you kidding? Thank you for making time for me. I'm sure you're very busy. <laughs> well, yeah, I do have a few more, few more tasks ahead. I'll put on a different hat and get to it. <laughs> you got it. You have a wonderful day, okay? Okay. You too, Mike.